Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Play podcast. Uh, today, joined by now, you know, pretty much a regular guest. This is the pod, me and you, Leo. How's it going? I finally, Mama, I made it. I finally made it. <laughs> finally made it. Uh, I finally made it. Today, we're going to be breaking down the uh, NFC South. Uh, we are going to be doing the same format that we followed earlier, breaking down head coach, offense, defense, um, strength of schedule. Well, not really strength of schedule so much as uh, win, win and loss projections by Vegas, where we think they're going to end. Who's got the best QB? This may be the deepest QB. Uh, I, I don't know. This may be the deepest QB division in football. Uh, in terms of, I, I would agree with that. In terms of you know championships, definitely uh, the only other team, the only other one that I thought of that might be able to uh, kind of stand against it's the AFC North. Uh, but they that that might be a division that that overtakes them in two three years. Got some uh, young raw talent right now. Uh, but let's go ahead and let's start breaking it down. Right, we want to break into the NFC South. We want to talk to talk to you, the fans, about uh, what we expect out of these teams, uh, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. Uh, we're going to go through win-loss, so we're going to get you in on that. Um, and, and as we stated for the NFC North, uh, there are some odds that are good enough to jump on now. If you like them, one of the big ones, uh, we both kind of agreed on Packer, uh, the, sorry, the Vikings over-under for the AFC, NFC North was 8.5. Uh, we both projected it over there, so maybe some opportunity for uh, fans out there to go and get some bets in early. So looking at the NFC South, uh, we are going to be ranking the head coaches. Uh, one through four, obviously the four teams in the NFC South, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Bucks. A lot of top-end talent on the head coaching, uh, on the quarterback side from the head coaching perspective. Uh, a lot of newcomers to this division. We do have Matt Rule taking over in Carolina, uh, Bruce Arians in his second year, and then you've got Stalwarts, um, Sean Payton, and Dan Quinn. Now, uh, only two of these coaches have, I think, gone to the Super Bowl as a head coach. Uh but when we break down their rankings, uh, for me, the worst head coach in this division is Dan Quinn. I have the Falcons as the fourth worst head coach, followed by the Panthers, which we don't really know what we're going to get with Matt Rule, so they come in as three for me. Uh, the Bucks with Bruce Arians come in as two, and the perennial division winner and Super Bowl champion, uh, Sean Payton, is my best coach in that division. How do you have it broken down? Uh, uh, similar to you, I mean, Sean Payne's been whooping ass in that division since I was damn near in high school, so I, I have to give him the top spot. Sean Payne, every year, he has the, the Saints ready to go. They score a lot of points. They do their thing. It's it's constant with the Saints. Uh, number two, I do have Bruce Arians. Uh, I thought that although the Bucks didn't have the most successful season last year, their offense was still at the top. And that's that's Bruce Arians doing. So I, I got to give him the number two spot. We differ with three and four. Uh, I feel like I have to give Dan Quinn the third spot. Uh, I don't think it's his fault that Atlanta's ra- roster is ass cheeks, or at least that his defense is ass cheeks. Um, and with Rule, I, just, I know Rule's coming from Baylor. Big 12 football is different than being an NFL head coach. So because he's the unknown, I'm going to put him last. Uh, you know, by the time we do this pod next year, that ranking might be very different. But right now, I'm I'm not going off anything that I saw in Baylor. So I, I got to put him last. 
Yeah, the only reason why I moved Matt Rule uh, above him, Dan Quinn, is I haven't seen anything out of the Falcons since they had the most horrific Super Bowl implosion. Um, I haven't really seen team cohesiveness. Uh, we haven't seen them put together a winning record. Uh, and when I look at it, I go, there's a good chance that Dan Quinn should have been fired last year. So I gave the slight edge to a team that's already moved to their next head coach. <laughs> And that isn't, uh, you know, that isn't kind of kicking the can down the road. But um, I just don't see anything special, especially with everything that Dan Quinn's had. So that was my reasoning of, of pushing him up. Bruce Arians, obviously, better than the other two. And then, you know, Sean Payton, you know. I just think when it comes to Dan Quinn, and let me preface this by saying that I'm not a Falcons fan. You know, like, I don't give not a single damn about Dan Quinn. But I feel like every single year they have injury after injury to key players, whether it be their starting center, whether it be the their entire secondary. Like every year, it's something. And I kind of feel bad for him. Like he might not be a great coach, and he probably should have gotten fired, like you said. But I would just like to see how they could do if he could have a full team for a, a season. Yeah, so here's another thing. At some point, I blame the injuries on the strength and conditioning cap, like coaches, and they're all hired by the head coach. So I kind of go, like, I don't give it a pass that they're always injured. I go, man, what are you doing so wrong that you're always injured? And how are you not fixing it? You know, the fact that's, that's, fair. that's fair. you know, there's always the injury bug, right? Some teams just get hit with it, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But there are other teams that get hit with a ton of injuries. Uh, the Ravens last year were hit with a bunch of injuries, uh, and they still managed. Um, there were points in time where they were without most of their linebacking core. Their secondary was beat up. They did go make a trade to bring in Marcus Peters. Uh, they they basically signed people like LJ Fort. They ended up with uh, a whole bunch of randoms on the defensive line. You know, they did, you you know, they got bounced early out of the playoffs, but they, they had a ton of injuries too, and they overcame them. And I go, you, you got to be filling this in. Maybe it's the GM's job. I just, at some point, push comes to shove for me with Dan Quinn, and I'm past that point. So let's slide over to offensive talent. Now, this is, from a talent perspective, you strip out everything else, and you just look at the weapons of the team. And then in a separate bucket, you look at offensive line. And those two factors combine for your offensive talent and what you can offer. If you separate the line from the skill positions in this division, holy fucking shit. That offensive firepower that they can put together from a skill-based positions in the NFC South, now that I don't think anyone can touch. You talking about the Falcons? Uh, this, the whole NFC South. Take a whole oh, NFC South. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I was going to say I have an argument for you. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. The, the division as a whole, yeah, it's crazy. And you take the line out of it. Now, when we look at our offensive talent rankings, we include the line. So we say, hey, all this runs through your line. You've basically got two buckets that we grade you on. One for your line, two for your skill positions. We rank quarterbacks separately. But as we break down this NFC South, I would, I'd be hard-pressed to think that we have a list that looks close to each other just because you're, you can't go wrong with almost any of these teams' skill positions. Like, 
a, a lot of teams would upgrade instantly into any four of these teams' skill positions. But their line is what separates them. So I'll go ahead and break this down. The first team for me, the team with the most offensive talent, line included, for me is the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think that they're spicy early. I like it. I I think that their uh, receivers are better than everyone else's in the division. Uh, they are low on running backs. They have the most tight ends and the most talented tight ends. Their offensive line isn't great. Uh, they upgrade it. They go and get the tackle they want, so they upgrade there. Um, this is a team for me when I factor in all the things combined, and, and quarterback does go into line play. Uh, that the Bucks come in for number one for me. Um, number two is more standard with the Saints. Uh, good offensive line. The one problem they had was up the middle pressure. They go and get their guy. Uh, they have Michael Thomas. They've got uh, you know they, they've got Camara. Um, they've got weapons. Uh, number three for me uh, is the Falcons. I think they still are very deep. Uh, Todd Gurley is a situational back. Is about as as low as it get, I'm not as low as it gets, but that's fine for me. If he's your, you know, uh, change of pace back, I, I think he can still offer something there. They get Hayden Hurst from uh, Baltimore, who I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a productive guy and a sleeper in fantasy football. Um, and and they got Julio Jones at the top end, and then the and and also their entire offensive line in Atlanta, they're all first round picks. Okay, uh, now some of them didn't pan out in other places, but their entire line one through five is first round picks. Uh, the Falcons, uh, sorry, the Panthers, and take up my number four seed. Um, they've got, they probably have the youngest talent offensively, uh, but the offensive line is is not good at all, um, and they they don't have the number one wide receivers that the other teams do. They, you know, they. There's no Julio. DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel's only getting you so far. Right, and I like DJ Moore, but it, you know he's not Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and Chris Godwin, or even Mike Evans. So that that's my one through four: Bucks, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, in that order. All right, I, we're not too far off from each other, but I have the Saints being number one, and that's because of the offensive line. Now, if we're just talking about uh, the pass catchers, I think that the Bucks are far and away number one in the division because they have Godwin, they have Evans, now they have Gronk. Uh, that's a big three right there. That, that's an NBA big three. But with, with the Saints, I think that where they get the advantage is their offensive line is so much better than what the Tampa Bay Bucks have. You know, I live in Tampa, so I watched a little more, or I have watched a little more Bucks football than probably the average person is subjected to. And Jameis was getting his ass whooped last year. He he was getting hit early and often. He They were beating him like he stole something. Yeah. So when I factor in the offensive line, I have to put New Orleans number one because I know they don't have as many weapons. It's really just Michael Thomas and Camaro over there. Uh, Taysom Hill, if, I mean, we could give Taysom Hill some credit for being a productive player, even though he's overpaid. He's a productive um, special teamer, so I don't class him into the offense. Right. Well, I, I just think when you if you are going to factor in the offensive line, then the Saints have to be number one because Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater last year, they were not getting their ass whooped back there. Yeah. And I know that Tom Brady can probably get them into better protections. He can probably uh, he can probably make better adjustments at the line than Jameis can. And maybe that'll that'll result in better offensive line play. I guess we'll see. Uh, but I haven't seen that yet. So for now, I have to give the Saints the edge at number one. 
the Bucks are number two. Uh, I would have the Bucks number one regardless of their offensive line if they had any semblance of a run game. Uh, but Peyton Barber last year did a lot of nothing. Uh, Ronald Jones, who I was excited to see last year, just never really quite got going. He he picked it up. He picked it up a little bit towards the end of the season, uh, but it was too little, too late, and it really wasn't even you know game changing what he was doing. So we'll see. I mean, it's too early to give up on a second round pick in Jones, but until they get the run game figured out, I think that is a big question mark for them. And Brady needs a run game back there. You can't just allow defenses to tee off on him. Uh, other than the Bucks, uh, I have the Falcons at third. Uh, you know, they have Calvin Ridley. They have Julio Jones. Uh, they lost Devontae Freeman, and I don't really know what they're going to do about their run game because I, if they replaced Freeman with someone, then I don't know who that is. No. That's, I, I think they drafted someone late, but uh, I don't think they have a plan to – running backs have been kind of interchangeable in, in Tom Brady's life cycle. Right. Yeah, no, with the Bucks, I'm not too concerned because I think Brady will find a way. You know, I think he'll be able to get the, the offense in a good position or maybe the, the run game will at least be respectable. Uh, but with the Falcons, I, you know, I just don't know. You know, I, outside of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, I, I don't really know what they got going on over there. I know you said Hayden Hurst. Do you expect him to be a productive player? He just got traded from Baltimore. But I need to see it before I believe it. Now, that offense did make Austin Hooper look like an all-pro. So, I, I mean, I guess Hayden Hurst taking off isn't outside of the realm of possibility. But, again, I need to see it before I'm going to believe it. Um, and with the Panthers coming in last year, like you said, they're a young team. They got Teddy Bridgewater back there now. Uh, they got a first-year offensive coordinator. They have, you know, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and, and Christian McCaffrey is a solid foundation. But... It's going to take more than that, especially in this division full of heavyweights. So I have them Saints, Bucks, Falcons, Panthers in terms of offensive skill players. No quarterback involved. Okay. Uh, so actually our lists were pretty close. That's it's interesting to see. Um, let's slide over to the defensive talent of these teams. I think this is the weak point of this whole division. Uh, I'm about to get real spicy on this side. I think that... Uh, I, honestly, for me, this is the biggest glaring issue for this division um, is is the lack of overall defense at three levels. But go ahead. Let's hear your list. Break it down. Okay. So that, now this take is going to be scorching hot. Hot. But my number one defense for the upcoming season, I want to make that clear. This is for the upcoming season. This isn't for past performance. Yeah. My number one defense going into the 2020 season is actually going to be the Tampa Bay Bucks, And let me explain that for you. So last season, the Bucks they gave up 449 points, good for third most in the division, right? If you look at the stats a little more closely, you see that they're actually, I believe they were definitely top 10. I believe they were top five in takeaways for the season so they the defense was producing turnovers that being said that being top five in takeaways at the defense they were third to last in the nfl in turnover differential because james winston was giving up the ball so many times so many times so this defense it was 
they only had four less sacks than the Saints last season, and the Saints were, I believe, top three or top five in sacks last season. They, they're only a few off of the Saints, and they're getting a quarterback who is not going to give the opposing team the ball over 40 times for the season. So I think the field position game is going to be better for the Bucks this season. They're going to be more rested because they're not going to have to suddenly be jumping on in the field after a two-play drive. Uh, I, I like the Bucks. I think the Bucks have the pieces. They're solid on defensive line. Their linebackers are solid. They seem to be addressing the secondary in this offseason. I think that they're going to be the best defense in the division this season. They haven't been in the past. I have them number one going into this season. After that, I have New Orleans. Now, we know about New Orleans' defense. They were in the playoffs last year. It's not an elite unit, but nope. they're not trash either. Yeah. Uh, like we said, we, they were top five in sacks last season. They get after the quarterback. The secondary solid. They have a shutdown corner with Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, they have the pieces. They'll be there. We know the Saints are going to be in the mix. I just don't think that they're going to have the best defense in this upcoming season because I think the, the Bucks is going to be a lot of improvement by taking away Jameis Winston. Uh, the bottom two spots in the division, I don't think either of these defenses are that great. Uh, the Falcons and the uh, the Panthers. Uh, the Falcons, they had a decent defense last year. Uh, you know, I should probably give them a little more credit than I'm giving them, but they didn't really do anything to improve this offseason, so uh, I'm not really seeing where the improvement's going to come from. They lost one of their edge rushers in Vic Beasley. Um, we'll see if they can replace him. I mean, he wasn't the most productive player in the world, but eight sacks is eight sacks. Uh, so I, I need to see where they're going to replace that production. And with the Panthers, I, you know, I just don't think anything good is going to come from Carolina this season. So let's just leave that at that. So my list and your list are going to be somewhat similar. I also had the Bucks number one. Um, oh shit! I yeah. thought I was getting spicy. I, I, uh, I, I just think Jameis Winston masks all the good things you do on defense. Uh, Jameis Winston also led the NFL in uh, interceptions dropped. So, and I think he also had like six fumbles. So this isn't this isn't a quarterback that offered any plus to your team. Um, we see that because he signed a one million dollar deal uh, to go to the Saints. Um, don't kid yourself. He is not going to find a better weapon or better scheme anywhere. He's just not a good quarterback. And when you have a bad quarterback, I think that exacerbates all your other traits. The fact that you can even put up winning numbers with a guy who turns the ball over by himself twice a game is remarkable. So I have the Bucks as the best as the best defensive talent in that division. Um, I have the uh, Saints backing them up at number two. My number three is the Panthers. Um, I like what they did drafting all defense. I got to think that at least three of those picks will be starters which will give them an upgrade and then the falcons just haven't had a defense i mean in forever so uh, the the they haven't had it since halftime of the super bowl they lost so that <laughs> they just haven't they got tired then they've never recovered so that that's my breakdown i've got bucks saints panthers falcons in that order uh all right flipping over to quarterback talent this is now. This is probably where um, I, I'm kind of all chalk here, uh, and what I mean by that is I'm going Matt Ryan number one. I'm going 
Uh, Drew Brees, number two. Tom Brady, number three. And then whoever the Panthers want to start, Teddy Bridgewater, whatever. Huge cliff, number four. Now, I start with Matt Ryan because if you look at Matt Ryan, his play is still really good. He can still throw the ball downfield. He still puts up great numbers. He has had not much to work with uh, outside of Julio. Um, I, you know, they, they make players turn, you know, in. They have a good system they run offensively that I think helps Matt Ryan. But Matt Ryan's the most recent uh, MVP on this list, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so uh, for me, I like Matt Ryan the most. If you took Matt Ryan and moved him to any other of those teams, I don't think you see a fall off. I think that that's the key thing for me. I think he's got the most mobility out of the three left. Um, I mean, out of the top three, Teddy Bridgewater uh, probably has a little more mobility. Uh, you know, Teddy was actually pretty stiff in the pocket last year. Um, but, yeah, but when you're dealing with Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Matt Ryan, I think Teddy could probably outrun them. Probably outrun them. So, you know, I've got Matt Ryan as my number one QB. Number two, I got Drew Brees. Uh, number three, I've got Tom Brady. Uh, and it's nothing – look uh, – People might take this as a shot at Tom Brady and Drew Brees, but one's 40, one's 43. And, uh, you know, you watch Tom and there are plays he misses. He can still make the great throws. But same with Drew Brees. They just don't have the deep arm strength that they used to. You go back and watch Tom Brady throwing the ball to uh, Randy Moss, and he can chuck the ball downfield on a rope for 60 yards. That pass does not exist in uh continuity you may see it one out of seven passes but it's just not a play that they have or they can offer uh so that's my order i've got matt ryan drew Brees, tom brady and then teddy bridgewater is my quarterback rankings all right uh our quarterback difference or our quarterback rankings is where we're going to see the biggest difference i have in order tom brady number one I have Drew Brees as the number two quarterback. I have Matt Ryan number three. And shout out Teddy. I really do like Teddy Bridgewater. I don't. I don't like feeling like I'm shitting on Teddy, but Teddy is easily fourth in this division. Yeah. Um, to explain a little bit, Matt Ryan. Uh, let me not even get to Matt Ryan first. Tom Brady. Tom Brady last season. He had what were his totals last year? We had four thousand yards, twenty-four touchdowns. Right. Tom Brady was throwing to me last season. Yeah. To me. That's yep. that's who his best receiver was, me. Yeah. That, no disrespect to Julian Edelman. I know Edelman's one of the best slot weapons of all time, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the same time, if you put Edelman on the, on the damn, I don't know, on the Cowboys the last couple, the last 10 years, do we really know Edelman like that? You know, if, if you put, if you put him on the Bengals, do we really know Edelman like that? Like, I think Edelman's more of a product of that system than he is a great receiver. So let me get that out of the way. Tom Brady was throwing to nobody. Yep. And he got 4,000 yards, 24 touchdowns. So just for comparison's sake, Matt Ryan had 4,400 yards and 26 touchdowns. So that's a 400-yard difference and a two-touchdown difference. My man Brady was throwing to nobody while Ryan had Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. I think if you give Brady, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, his numbers look better than what we just saw or what I just told you Matt Ryan's stats were. Um, When it comes to Tom Brady versus Breeze, uh, I think they're neck and neck. I don't really have a huge preference one or the other. Um, I like Brady's overall weapons better than I like Breeze's overall weapons, so that's why I put Brady ahead of Breeze. But I think they're both ahead of Matt Ryan, uh, who actually has 
some weapons and is putting up comparable stats. Uh, with Teddy, uh, you know, again, shout out Teddy, but he's he's not in this discussion. No, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. So the Panthers are going to try to tank this year. That's what they're doing. That that's the whole design is to tank, but look competitive. Um, I, I I can't disagree with you uh, with any of the points you've made. Um, I, I you know, for me, my main thing is I know Tom Brady hasn't had much to deal with. Um, and I think Tom Brady's going to be great this year. I, I think this is going to be the division to watch when you talk about Bucks Saints and they start the year out against each other. Uh, but I, I just really think Matt Ryan, I, I don't know, I, 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 I like Matt Ryan. I, I, I've, I always hated him for a while because we had the Joe Flacco-Matt Ryan debate forever. As soon as Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, I, you know, I, they were no longer rivals in my view. Matt Ryan didn't get his. He got his MVP. Definitely the better of the two quarterbacks. Uh, Joe Flacco had a better team around, a uh, better organization around him. Uh, I just think that from raw talent, from where they're at, I, I still think if you put Matt Ryan on that Bucks team, I, I think the numbers would be fucking crazy. I think 6,000 yards. Let me ask you this, actually. Let me, yeah. let me jump in here. So you have Matt Ryan first, Tom Brady third. I have Tom Brady first, Matt Ryan third. So, just for comparison's sake, if you put Matt Ryan on the 2019 Pats and you put Tom Brady on the 2019 Falcons, do you think their stats are still close? Because I think Tom Brady will blow his stats out of the water if you replaced him with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I don't think I think they maybe blow out the waters disrespect. Yeah, but I, I think Brady gets the edge. I mean, it's still an MVP year for him, so he lapped everybody. Um, I I really think that I think that Matt Ryan gets a lot of disrespect because of that Super Bowl. Um, I don't think Matt Ryan's a bad quarterback by any means. He's durable as shit. Um, I like his arm strength more right now than the other two. I think that Matt Ryan's a very, very capable quarterback that's been put in an organization that's not very good at winning football games. And that's the difference. I think a lot of times, you know, obviously he was never Tom Brady's level of greatness. But the Falcons haven't done anything in 30 years. You know, so I just, for me, it's it's hard to, when I watch just tape of Matt Ryan, I look at a guy who can make every throw on the field, who can read a defense. So for me, his skill cap, it's tough to get a lot higher than that. In order to get higher than that, you got to go Hall of Fame goat prime level. Now he's facing two Hall of Fame goats, but they're not at their prime level. So, you know. You know, I, I want to ask you about a tweet that I saw the other day, and I really wish that I would have saved the tweet so I could just read it word for word right now. But I saw a tweet the other day, and I apologize to whoever wrote the tweet because I don't remember who you are. But it, it essentially said that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones in the first three quarters of you know of their careers are among the top duos you know that we have in the league and maybe all time. But then in the fourth quarter, their their averages drop to like below league average, you know, for performance in the fourth quarter. How do you feel about that? And do you have any kind of explanation for why that might happen? Because I don't understand why they're so bad when it's late game. You're talking about the Falcons? Yeah. I, look, I go to organization and how you're set up. Um, at the end of the game, you're – so a couple things come into play. 
Okay, you've seen the other team. You haven't had time to really look at a ton of film, you know, of what they're doing in that game. So how's your head coach make adjustments is what I look at. So, again, this is why I rank Dan Quinn, you know, at the bottom. I don't think that your, your head coach who's seen now three quarters of play puts your team in any position to win. And that never been more evident than the Super Bowl where they completely blew it. So the reason why they fall behind and can't catch, and not fall, well, you know, they fall behind. The reason why they have these fourth quarter implosions is when other teams get to the nitty gritty and you've got to go on what you feel and what's worked through the game, um, or, or maybe have a little trick up your sleeve, they're just always empty. They go, hey, we lined up in a, you know, we lined up vanilla, we were winning vanilla, and then we ended up losing vanilla. And the other team makes adjustments to the vanilla, makes adjustments to the vanilla, makes adjustments to the vanilla, eventually overcomes them. I think that's the problem with the Falcons. Uh, Dan Quinn is overmatched when it comes to a coach. He was overmatched to Ron Rivera overmatched him. Uh, Drew, uh, Drew, well, not Drew, Sean Payton had him overmatched. Uh, you're really, and then Bruce Arians is a better coach too. So you, I just think one of the reasons why they implode and they fall apart doesn't have so much to do with Matt Ryan. It just goes back to going, you don't have a system that's conducive to winning. You don't really know what it takes to win. You had one year with Kyle Shanahan, which took them way over. Remove that one year. They fired Dan Quinn three years ago. Right. Yeah, I agree. And that's the problem. When you get to the end of the year, if you have, if your team ever comes out and doesn't look ready to play or can't complete the game, you know, we're going to go back to this. Strength and conditioning. How do you run out of gas for everyone else, and how is that a thing every single time? You're also so, injured. question for you, actually, that I was asking. I have a close buddy of mine who's a huge Falcons fan, and I asked him this question yesterday. I say, okay, let's go through a hypothetical. Hypothetically, let's say that this season just doesn't go the way that the Falcons want, as most seasons do. Yeah. Let's say they end up with the number one pick. It's just a horrible year. They Julio Jones gets injured week one, God forbid, you know, knock on wood, but for hypothetical sake, um, and, and they just have the worst season. They end up with the number one pick. Do you draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields and let Matt Ryan go and open up all that cap room to fix the rest of the, the defense and the roster, or do you ride out with Matt Ryan and try to address the rest of the roster through the draft? His opinion was that as a Falcons fan, who isn't a huge Matt Ryan fan, let me preface this with that, he said that he feels like Matt Ryan is enough to win the Super Bowl. He wants to keep Matt Ryan and continue to build around him. My opinion is that if the Falcons have the season from hell that we're describing in this scenario, that I think that they'd be better off letting Matt Ryan go, opening up all that cap room, and taking a, a roll of the dice on Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or whoever the number one prospect is this time next year. What do you think? I don't think the the Falcons have a chance at being a top, a bottom five team. Um, I just think that they're the problem with the Falcons is the Panthers are in a way better spot to lose every game. So you're not going to end up with a Herbert unless you trade up a ton. The pro or, or Trevor Lawrence. That's how I really meant. Let's Lawrence. think for the hypothetical sake that they have a a 2019 Warriors type of season where like okay. it's just injuries. It's Matt Ryan gets step. hurt. Matt Ryan gets hurt the season's over. So they end right. up I mean, look, if you have a chance at Trevor Lawrence, you're gonna take him and you gut everything else. So you take Trevor, 
You trade Matt Ryan somewhere, hopefully for something. I mean, Cam Newton can't find a starting job. Uh, you probably, honest to God, look to trade Julio Jones, try to get a first and a second for him. Uh, just to pair someone with Lawrence, there's tons of wide receivers coming out, even in the next draft. Um, so yeah, I, and Calvin Ridley's pretty young. I like him. And you've got Calvin Ridley, so you've got some backup to him. In my, in my, and you do have Hayden Hurst, who who could be something. We'll we'll wait on that, but he's only on his second year of his deal, so you'd have him. Um, for me, I I think if you had the opportunity, this is a team that's closer to the bottom than the top in terms of winning a Super Bowl or going uh, being last in the division. Uh, if you have the chance to tank and get Lawrence, you go for it. You're just going to be at a big disadvantage because there's another team in your division that's set up. In, you know, after Teddy, they have nobody, and Teddy's uh, okay. Um, but I mean, their their defense was terrible last year. They draft seven. They don't upgrade their offense in any way at all, and that was an offense that could not move the ball. So. You know, I think that if you get the opportunity to tank for someone like Lawrence, you take it. I think this is a team that should have fired Dan Quinn two years ago, and they would have been competitive this year. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. they got to get Dan Quinn the fuck out I of think there. that's the biggest thing. When we look at the whole thing top to bottom, what's got to happen is fucking Dan Quinn's got to go. The owner's got to shit or get off the pot, and they got to get rid of the front office as well. Dimitrov's been there for a while. I haven't seen anything, so I think he's got to get bounced also. So I think the Atlanta needs to realize that the window's closed and it's time to reboot the whole fucking thing. Uh, and the quicker they do that, the better. The biggest problem they're facing right now is, you are entirely right, if they would have started a rebuild two years ago and gotten rid of Matt Ryan, they would have been better off because where are you going to send Matt Ryan now? Uh, everyone's got two quarterbacks that they like. <laughs> I mean, Cam Newton can't get a job. So I think Atlanta's going to be one of those teams that's going to be bad for the next five years. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't see any, I don't see a route to Atlanta coming to the top of the division until Breeze and uh, Brady are both gone. Both gone. Uh, and, and look, they've got, they're still a leg behind. Uh, Carolina just started their rebuild. So if you want to start your rebuild, you're going to be coming up behind Carolina. And then whatever semblance, is, Saints won't rebuild. Okay, they'll retool. The Saints will not rebuild. The Bucks won't rebuild. The Bucks will retool. You know, they'll go. We just need a quarterback. We have everything else. So that they're really in a bad spot. Atlanta's one of the in the, one of the worst spots over the next five years, in my opinion. I agree. I, I don't see much positive coming from Atlanta. I'm so sorry to my Atlanta fans out there. Yeah, it's not well. Um, so let's move on to the Vegas win loss records. Okay. All right. Let's and do it. To me, there's some there's some low hanging fruit that I really can't figure out. Uh, we'll start with the Falcons. The Falcons over-under is 7.5. Uh, the Falcons' schedule isn't very kind to them. They're going to start out against Seattle. They go Seattle, the Cowboys, the Bears, the Packers. It's a tough front for, um, you know, two playoff teams in there. The Cowboys overhaul. This could very well start out 1-3. and three. Uh, then they're going to ease up a little bit. They're going to end up with the Panthers, the Lions, the Panthers again, the Broncos, and the Vikings. They, you know, So you could be looking at a 4-4 four and four record at that point. Um, they finish down their stretch going uh, Saints, Raiders, Saints again, Chargers, Bucks twice, and the Chiefs. So, right, might finish their season on like a seven-game losing streak. <laughs> I mean, here, their last five are 
Saints, Chargers, Bucks, Chiefs, Bucks. Yikes. That's, that's that hurt. Uh, yikes. So, you know, their win loss is seven and a half. This is the only one that I'm I'm staying as far away from as possible. I had the Atlanta Falcons winning seven games. Um just based on looking at that schedule. I I, I being it over under seven and a half, I'm staying the fuck away from there. Where do you see their wins at? I've got them around just off a quick glance of their schedule. I've, I've probably got them around five or six wins. I, I would be if I was going to decide on taking the over under on seven and a half. I'm going under. Yeah, and that's where I've got it. Just at one, um, you know, one one below it or half below it's seven. Uh, moving on to the here's the one that I like a lot. Panthers are five and a half. Okay. I think the Panthers have a good shot of one of those like two and thirteen seasons. Uh, they have some easy teams they're gonna play. Uh, they get the Raiders. They're gonna get the Bears. Um, they also get the Redskins. I, I, the Redskins are a revenge game for Ron Rivera. You have the Lions in there as well. I just don't see where the Panthers can muster five wins. Uh, you might be able to steal one from somewhere. But, like, a good matchup. Here you go. Panthers and the Chargers play. Okay, the winner of that game probably puts their over-under. You know, probably bumps it. That You're looking at two teams with journeyman backup quarterbacks starting with talent around them at certain positions. I love the under here. I think that the the Panthers are closer to a three-win team than a six-win team. So I, I have the Panthers winning four games this year and finishing a game and a half under. They're over under at five and a half. Uh, all right, so I think with the Panthers, I was looking over the schedule while you were talking there, and I could see where they might be able to uh, – I wouldn't put my money on it. Let me say this first. I would not put my money on this. But I could see a path for them breaking. You said five and a half? Yep. All right, so just the games that I see as winnable games for Carolina, week one against the Raiders, I see that as winnable. Week one at home. Uh, I see the Chargers game, the Cardinals game as winnable. I see the Bears game as a winnable game. I think they might be able to take at least one of the games against uh, the Falcons. Uh, I think the Lions are winnable. I think the Broncos are going to be winnable. And I think the Redskins are going to be winnable. Now, again, would I put any cash on Carolina getting the six wins? No. No, I would not. But if... You know, if they got to six and ten or seven and nine, I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't completely rule it out. They went five and eleven last year with a dumpster fire rotation at quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is not all pro, but he's not a dumpster fire either. He might be worth one win. No, and, so. and here here's my big determining factors: new head coach, no off season time to get ready. Uh, you you lose Luke Keekley, he retires, so you've pretty much lost every captain you've had. You lose Cam Newton, Greg Olson, and Luke Keekley in the span of a year. I think that hurts your locker room chemistry. You're going to have to put it all back together. There's no leader quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater's not going to pull that for you. Uh, so your offense is going to be probably a little more dynamic. Your offensive line is still a huge problem. 
Uh, and you really you upgraded your defense with young players, but defensive players take a little longer to come on than other than like an offensive player, a skill position like a the, you know wide receiver, or running back. Right. I just look and I go, you know, there are five winnable games on their schedule, five to six winnable games, and I go. Problem is with those winnable games, you're probably only going to pull in four as a bad team, and I. I mean, the rest of the division is going to have to look at games against the Panthers and beat the shit out of them because, the you know you're never going if you lose a game to the Fal- the the Panthers in your division in the Bucks Saints they lose any game to the Panthers they lose that opportunity to get a one seed and remember the one seed this year means that you don't have to play the first week but everyone else will so I think there's even more onus there's going to be even more focus. And without an off-season program, a new coach coming from a college system is going to take his lumps regardless. And I think that's just going to take a little more time to get his culture in there, get his stamp on the building. I think all those things lead to a pretty rough uh, year for the Panthers. So, Right. In terms of continuity, uh, I know you're saying that because of no off-season program, you have Teddy Bridgewater coming in. It's going to be rough to adjust to that. I just want to point out the fact that their new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, spent a couple years on the Saints as an offensive assistant and ran the Saints offense at LSU last year. And that's where Teddy was last year, and he looked pretty good in that same offense. So I I don't think, you know, if he's bringing the same offense, there's some continuity there for Teddy already because he just spent, you know, some time in that system learning. I think Teddy was there in 2018. Um, so if that's the case, then they were together in New Orleans already. Uh, they, yeah, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, your starting quarterback has to lead your culture, uh, and, and with a new head coach coming in, you're just not going to have the, Hey, there's 50 of us, 70 of us standing around, you know, following one voice, all that's going to get cut down and shortened. I just think especially when you bring in an entire new defense. And I think the big thing is this. You lost your leader on offense. You lost your leader on defense. You're going to replace both. You mean to tell me you're going to be able to replace Keekly and you're going to be able to replace Cam Newton and then even a stabilizing vet voice like Greg Olson? All that you're going to be able to – you're going to be able to replace all that. And your head coach has been in the league a long time. Ron Rivera's not a slouch. It's been to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. You're going to replace all that in one year and you're not going to take a step back. And that, that to me, is is where I struggle. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I just look at it from a perspective of if, if they're going to run the same offense, which I'm going to assume that they are because Joe Brady coached that offense last year at LSU and he coached the actual Saints yep. in 2018. Um, this is the same offense that Bridgewater in five games had 1,400 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, he, he wasn't breaking the world or anything, but... It, he had solid production. I could. I don't see them being a playoff team. Like, let me temper expectations here. I'm not saying that they're going to be good, but I could see them in the six win range. Yeah, I. I that that that's what's going to come down to. They're either going to finish with six, they're going to finish with three, and I like three. Uh, let's slide down to really the meat of the schedule, and that's the Saints. The Saints win over under right now is ten and a half. 13 wins last year. Uh, as you know, I'm not huge on the Saints just because I don't like anyone who runs it back. So I don't, I don't, 13 wins was their ceiling last year. I don't see that as their ceiling this year. Um, I, I look at uh, being, you know, it's one game, but one game's big in the NFL. Um, I, I look at 
11 to 12 being their ceiling. Um, with their, you know, another injury to Drew Brees, you're going to have to bring in, you, you do have Jameis Winston, but I've seen that guy with better weapons um, with quarter with a quarterback coach I respect than Arians. Saints over-unders, 10 and a half. I have met 11 wins. Where you got them? Uh, so the Saints, they've posted back-to-back 13-win seasons, and the season before that, they were at 11. So I am not going to go below 10. That's for sure. Um, I, I could see them in the same range. I mean, it, the last three seasons, they've had 11 wins, 13 wins, and 13 wins. So I expect them to be in a similar range this season because the roster hasn't changed that much. And the only person that's really old on that team is Breeze. But I don't think Breeze is falling off just yet. I mean, he's not prime Breeze, but he can still get the job done. I expect them to be right in that same range again. They're going to be in double digits for sure, barring injury. Uh, I see them 11, 12 wins. I don't know if they get to 13 again, but coming off back-to-back 13 wins, I guess we can't rule out the fact that they're going to get to 13 again. Uh, Double digits for sure. I'm going over on the 10. My prediction is going to be 12 wins. 12 wins. Yeah, and that's where I see them. Look, I... I'm bouncing around a lot on this team uh, because I they go against a lot of the principles that I like in football of getting better every year and making sure that you 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 uh, you progress. Um, this is very much a run it back feel. I just normally don't like that, like I said, because I think the division got better as a whole. But looking at their right. schedule, 2015 was the last time they didn't win double digits games. Yeah, and that's why I go, hey, look, as a floor, this is still going to be a playoff team. Uh, I think they're poised for a little bit of a regression, but nothing major. Just to look at how the Saints open the schedule. Um, first three games, they're going to be playing the Bucks, the Raiders, and the Packers. So uh, they get the Bucks and the Packers both at home, which is a big boost for them. If they can get through that beginning of the schedule going Bucks, Packers, Raiders, and going two and three, this is going to be another 12-13 win team. Uh, they do have the Chiefs again this year, and they do. They, I mean, they have some tough games. Uh, they're going to play the 49ers. They're going to play the Eagles. They're going to play the Chiefs. Um, then they've got the Vikings again. Uh, so they've got really some heavyweight hitters in there. Bucks twice, Green Bay, 49ers, Chiefs. Uh, I, I really like the Eagles, so I put the Eagles up there. Uh, so they've got six games where I go, hey, you got to win uh, you win three of those, you're probably a 13-win team. So uh, that, that's probably right about where they're going to sit. So I, I, Yeah, looking at their schedule now, I think I could easily envision them starting off 6-1 and one or 7-0. and oh. They start off with Bucks, you know, in the Superdome. Then they go to the Raiders. I'm not too worried about that. That's actually a primetime game, so I expect them to show up in yep. Las Vegas. Um, they get the Packers on another primetime game, but... That's going to be Sunday night in the Superdome. Then they got the Lions and Chargers and Panthers. I expect them to handle business in all three of those games. Yep. And then they travel to the Bears, which I, you know, in Chicago we'll see. Uh, but, you know, again, I could easily see them being 7-0 and or 6-1 and going into Week 8. The benefits the Saints really have when you look at their schedule is all their tough games somehow come at home. All of them. Uh, yeah, getting the 49ers at home is and the Chiefs at, and the Vikings at yeah. home. Shit. So the Chiefs, when I looked at their, uh, I didn't, I didn't. 
I didn't really. I looked at their opponents, but I didn't dig into where they're playing them. Um, and I'll say that's an oversight because getting the Chiefs at home. I mean, they're tough games that I mentioned before. Their only tough game that they don't play at home is the Eagles game. Now, that could be tough for them. It's going to be cold in December in Philly. That's going to be a hostile fucking game. But to get the Chiefs in your home, to get the Vikings in your home, to get the Packers in your home, really the schedule gods did you an unbelievable favor. Uh, And I don't want to hear complaints about how you think the NFL is trying to screw you over because you're going to play the Saints. I mean, you're going to play all the teams that you think you're going to have to fight for a one seed. You get them all at home. So calm down. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Calm, no, just nothing to complain about. Calm down. Uh, I mean, you get. I mean, holy shit! The Packers, you get them at home. The 49ers, you get them at home. So the one and the two seed in the NFC, you get them at home. The the one seed of the AFC, you get them at home. The Vikings, who beat you last year in the playoffs, in your home, you get them at home again. Uh, so I, I, you know, pack it in. It's it's been a good run for your complaining about the but the NFL and the and the league. But they did you an unbelievable favor this year. All right, last team on this list is the Bucks. The Bucks win total is 10. I think this is easy money. You're an eight-win team with James Winston. You upgrade to Tom Brady. I, I don't even think – I don't think I have to think about this too much. I've got them as a 12-win team is kind of, again, a ceiling, of, a ceiling could be 13, floor 12. I think this is a good team up and down the board. Uh, they start their year off. Here are their first five games. Saints, tough one. Panthers, Broncos, Chargers, Bears. Uh, you could be 4-1. and one. Then you are home again for the Packers. You get the Raiders, the Giants. You know, okay. So that you could be looking at 9 wins through 10 games. You end the year on a little bit of a rough patch, but nothing major. You go Chiefs, uh, Vikings, back-to-back. Both at home, by the way. And then you finish out by going to the Falcons, to the Lions at home for the Falcons. Uh, show me three losses. Nah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. You know, I actually have some interesting here looking at the stats. Last season, the Bucks were actually a, a pretty good away team. They they were five and three at uh, they were five and three away. They were two and six at home. What I what I'm wondering, and this is no guarantee, but I'm wondering. I'm very familiar with Raymond James because I live in Tampa. Their, their home field advantage was zero in recent years. If that stadium was packed, it was packed with opposing fans, uh, never packed with Bucks fans. You might get a, a week one, you know, high high turnout for fans, but for the most part, nobody's in Ray J cheering for the Bucks like that. With Tom Brady, I expect home field advantage to be a thing, and thus I expect them to be a, a better home team. So if they're already good away and they can improve at home, then yes, I think the sky's the limit for them. I have them in in double digits for sure. I don't know if I see them getting to twelve or thirteen, uh, but I, I definitely see this being a ten or eleven win team. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at. I'm struggling to find again. Schedule makers really, really helped out the Bucks. I, I mean, they're tough games at the end of the year, and and, and like you know, they play early in the year away a little bit you know you're gonna go two broncos i mean you do have the chargers and saints in the hot part of that schedule but as we turn into october you've got three games in october that are away 
Uh, one, so they have five games in October, two of them away, one, two, three, no, four, half and half. Their real tough home games are all at home when Raymond James shouldn't be 100. You know, this is, uh, they've got the Rams on 11-23, uh, they've got the Chiefs on 11-29, they got the Vikings back, this is back-to-back-to-back to back to back home games. Vikings are, are going to Buccaneers on 12-13. To me, the, the thing about their schedule is they're going to get most of their home games at the end of the year when it's not going to be 10 billion degrees. Um, you could see them struggle early, but that early game with the Saints where they play in New Orleans, you know, that's a dome. So that's going to favor Brady as well. I really think this is a team that's got a very easy schedule. You know, they get to beat up on teams like the Giants, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but overall, this is a team that just uh, will hold it together. Getting rid of 30 interceptions and six fumbles is going to be fucking crazy. Uh, and I think you could see one of the largest differential turnarounds in the NFL history. You know, looking at the schedule now, it kind of looks like the schedule makers are trying to give the Bucks a hand in getting that stadium filled um, because uh, of the big games they have at home. Uh, let's see here. The Packers game is a 4.30 start. You know, by 4.30, things are cooling down. People are more willing to get out there. Um the Saints game at home is an, uh, a Sunday night game. Uh, that, that stadium will be packed on Sunday night. I can guarantee that. Oh, yeah. Uh, their game against the Rams at home looks like it's a Monday night game. Uh, also going to be packed because it's an 8-15 start. Uh, their Chiefs game at home is a 4-30 start. It looks like really the only big game they have at home that's an early start is against the Vikings with a 1 p.m. start but those 1 p.m. games man those are impossible when it's hot let me speak from experience yeah I was there um I was there for the Titans season actually Mariota's first start so this was probably 2015 um was the last time I went in August or in September and I sweat through my shirt by halftime so that is that's why that stadium stays empty nobody's trying to sit in that stadium at 100 degree weather you know, at noon or at, at one o'clock. So I, I do think that home field advantage will be increased for the Bucks this year because people are actually excited about Tampa. Uh, I, I know you've seen the Tampa Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Or Tampa Bray. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know. People are excited. So I expect them to be better. I expect them to be better at home and they were already good away. Uh, I, I see double digits. Yeah, I, I see double digits easily too. So let's do a quick run through of where we've been at for uh, what we've got for these over unders. Um, the Falcons are seven and a half. We think that they'll hit seven or fewer. Stay away from that bet. Uh, Panthers five and a half. I love the under. Uh, Leo likes the over at six, but really wouldn't put a dime on it. Uh, then we have Saints at ten and a half. Bucks at ten. We think they're both going to finish in the same range, probably between 11 and 13 wins. The schedule makers favored them both very heavily. Uh, Now, home games may not mean as much if there aren't fans, so we'll take a look at that. Uh, But Ooh, I didn't even factor that in. You're right. But the thing with the Saints schedule is the differences between playing in Green Bay and traveling or just playing at your home Superdome. 
So, and Tampa Bay is the same thing. At the end of the year, they get five games at home. Uh, out of their last five games, it's three at home, two on the road. So, you know, you being able to play down the stretch, last, sorry, last six games, four home games. And their two away games are the Falcons and the Lions. The Lions, two, so they, at the last six games, just to, just to walk through them, you're going to play four at home and two in a dome. So, even without fans, you're still pretty fucking happy with that with an older quarterback. You're loving that and your team speed. You're loving that. So, yeah, I do want to say this, actually. You just kind of threw a little wrench in it for, for my thought process. If there's fans in the stadium, then my prediction is a little different than if there's no fans in the stadium. And that's because of this. If there are no fans in the stadium, then I think that the Bucks might have a, a little bit of an edge over the Saints. I think that the Saints' home field advantage in large part comes from the fact that the Superdome is loud as shit. Or, I'm sorry, the Mercedes-Benz Arena, I think is what it's... Oh, is, no, that's the Falcons Arena. The Superdome is the... Saints. The Saints, right. Okay, yep. so the Superdome gets loud as hell. I, I walked by the Superdome sometime like two years ago while the Saints game was happening, and I felt like I was in the stadium just walking by the stadium. So if, if home field advantage isn't going to be as big of a thing, then I, I like the Bucks to finish over the Saints. That's my hot take. If there's no fans, I like the Bucks better than the Saints. I like the Bucks to win the division outright anyway. Because uh, <laughs> I think they're just... <laughs> well, I think they I think they upgraded at every position. Not every position. Oh, well, sorry. Yes, I think adding Tom Brady upgrades every offensive position you have. Um, and I think that defense was pretty good last year. It just went completely under the radar because uh, every single opportunity they got, Jameis Winston threw in a trash can. So uh, that wraps it up for us. Leo, what do you got coming up? I have a new piece coming to the website, pickandscroll.com, actually about these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to give a full rundown on what the roster looks like going into 2020 and what we can expect from that team this season and in the future. So look for that on pickandscroll.com, I'd say by the end of this weekend. Sounds good to me. And uh, we will have a, another pod, hopefully either early next week or late this week, uh, just finalizing our MJ Doc thoughts. Uh, and then next week, we will be breaking down the NFC East. We will be hitting up the NFC East. Uh, so with that, we bid you all adieu. Thanks for turning in. You can find me on Pick and Play 37 on Twitter. At Pick and Scroll. At Pick and Scroll. Pick the letter hand, scroll. scroll. Make sure you guys rate, review, share, all that. Subscribe, find us on Spotify. All right, everyone. Thanks. Later.